Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital or you are looking to get your company acquired or just need some sound financial planning and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at PantheraAdvisors.com or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So today we have a super interesting guest. I think that we're going to be learning quite a bit. He's done this uh, a few times. So obviously, you know, a lot of ups, a lot of downs, but definitely a lot of lessons learned. And I think that we're all going to get quite inspired with his story. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Song Shu. Welcome to the show. Hey, Alejandro. Really happy to be here. Love your podcast and, uh, you know, love to uh, pay it forward uh, where we can. Thank you so much, Song. So let's say take a little trip here through memory lane. So originally born and raised in Shanghai, but obviously you did uh, move to Belgium, you know, quite early. So so tell us about your upbringings. Yeah, I was born in uh, in Shanghai, you know, in uh, uh, in '85, uh, you know, so the the Cultural Revolution era. Uh, you know, at a very young uh, age, uh, you know, I, I moved to Belgium because my uh, my father. Uh, you know, had the opportunity to do his PhD and uh, study uh, abroad. Uh, you know, he was one of the first generation that was allowed to go back to university again. So that was quite uh, inspiring on its own. You know, in his quest for, uh, you know, searching for something better, you know, he moved in, uh, in, in Belgium. And, you know, that's also a bit where my professional journey started. Uh, because it's quite funny, one of the things that uh, he did to, to survive while he was studying was, you know, working in Asian restaurants. And because, you know, it was in the you know, 80s and 90s, you know, some of these restaurants asked him, hey, you're a smart guy. Can't you make a software for us for a restaurant to, to operate and run more efficiently? So he bought a book, learned C++ in 30 days, created a software, a point of sale software for restaurants. Uh, and to date, he still has, in Belgium, where I live, over 90% of all uh, Asian restaurants as customers. So that's a bit how I enrolled in this, um, you know, hospitality software space. Wow. And then I guess, um, I mean, you've been, you've been seeing this since you were very young. And I'm sure that you got very much inspired by seeing your father, you know, running his own business and being an entrepreneur himself. So you kind of like grew up with it. So, so what were some of the things that, that you learned from from your father, you know, that were the most uh, powerful for you and for your journey. And and at what point did you realize I'm gonna be just like him and I'm gonna have my one my 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 own baby, you know, like one day. I think it's the reverse. You know, my entrepreneurial life started because uh, uh, out of uh, must. You know, if you uh, have an immigrant as a father in general, or uh, especially a Chinese father, I think very early on he will tell you, man, you need to work. You know, in life. 
uh, it's never easy. One of the things he told me, man, if you're not smart, you should just work harder than anyone else. Luckily, I'm not that dumb, but still, I need to work very hard. Uh, so at the age of 16, 17, uh, you know, I was already creating a website for, you know, these Chinese restaurants. So I have hundreds of them, very ugly though, <laughs> these days, uh, running live. So I, you know, I, I very youngly, um, you know, got to learn how to code, uh, how to create, you know, solutions. And, and that's one of the things I think I, I took through my life. You know, sometimes you need to be able to jump and, and create that first proof of concept. And, you know, don't be afraid to, you know, put that at the customer. I think, you know, I'm an engineer, you know, after that, I studied software engineering, but, you know, I'm a very pragmatic guy. You know, I want to make sure that I have something that is usable, uh, that customer can use it and very quickly iterate and using their feedback to expand. Uh, I think that's really helped uh, me through the journey. So in your case, let's talk about your journey more because you actually, you know, especially after university, you didn't go and work for your dad. You actually ended up building your own company. So, I mean... Tell us what was that thought process of uh, saying to yourself, hey, you know what, I'm just going to go and, and build my own business. Yeah, I think I was uh, always inspired to work in startups. So instead of going to, I also worked in a couple of big companies, but I, you know, after my university, I actually worked in a startup that uh, created uh, mobile apps and websites, right? Uh, you know, back then that was quite new, right? You would say, hey, what's so special about that? Well, that was pre-iPhone. So it was on Nokia N95s, BlackBerry, you know, Symbian OS. So now I really feel old, old school uh, apps. But that was a re- amazing journey, but it lo- learned us how to do these mobile stuff. So actually, when the iPad came out as well, the iPhone, you know, iPhone 1, iPad 1 came out, um, I finally found a way to, you know, fix or uh, create a better solution, right? Uh, because one of the issues that my, my point of sale my father, uh, his software was, was it's not cloud-based and also not mobile. So it means that, you know, sometimes when something breaks, you need to drive there, you know. Uh, I, I still remember once where he was on holiday, I need to do service. And an Asian restaurant called me, you know, at 10 p.m. said, you need to fix it. I cannot enter numbers anymore, so I can't do takeaway delivery. I drove three hours to press NumLock because the cleaning lady forgot that. Now, during that back and forth, three hours ago and back, I learned, you know, I was uh, contemplating how the hell do I take that business? I don't want to take over that business. So, you know, once the iPad came out, it was a perfect moment to create that next generation uh, solution on tablet, but as well on the cloud. Um, so in 2010-11, uh, together with my co-founder, we created one of the first iPad point of sale uh, in, in the world, right? One of the first 3,000 apps. Uh, and that, you know, completely bootstrapping uh, while working uh, and almost coding in traffic jam day in, day out. Um, so that was an amazing journey. And again, one of the lessons learned was, hey, maybe you don't need to have a lot of capital. Maybe you should just build a product uh, and you know get to customers before you want to do all the rest. And in this case, I mean, the company was called Posios. Uh, but with Posios, fundraising was a little bit tough. But even before we talk about fundraising, just so that the people you know really, really get it, what, what ended up being the business model of POSIUS? POS iOS was, um, you know, game-changing in technology and cloud, but as well as business model, because standard point of sale was back then still uh, uh, enterprise software, right? You're buying a big terminal and it costs, you know, 5K, 10K, 20K, and where you buy it once. I think the innovative side was, you know, we allow these restaurants to do on a monthly subscription, right? Where instead of investing $20,000, uh, 
they just paid 50 to 100 bucks a month and they had a point of sale. And it was, you know, uh, using consumer hardware. So the investment was very low and highly scalable. Second, I think what's really unique is, in hindsight, that's a lesson learned, is you can make the best software, you know, and whatsoever, but at the end of the day, you need to have a massive distribution network, right? Um, you know, timing is important, but distribution as well. So back then, uh, on the App Store, you know, uh, we had this app and we selected, where do you want to distribute? We select globally. Right. So every day we have thousands and thousands of restaurants really around the world saying, hey, I need this solution. I need to go live. How do we use it? Uh, and the funny thing was that, you know, and that brings a fundraising. Nobody believed us back then. First of all, everyone said nobody is ever going to use a tablet to run a business. But second, telling anyone that you get a thousand leads, you know, a thousand restaurants that are trying to buy your solution. Nobody believes that. Like, you know, back then was it's impossible. How do you have that? Uh, so we really bootstrapped, um, you know, did everything ourselves, um, you know, to grow as quick as we could. I mean, quite innovative too, because you know, in 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 Belgium, you know, and and in Europe as a whole, obviously startups, you know, have been booming in the last day. I would say like five to seven years. I think like ten years ago, it was not that sexy really to do a startup. I mean, it was more like consulting and becoming a lawyer or a doctor. You know, really what what people were going after. Now it's like. It's oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. You know that's like so new, no? But uh, but I guess in this case for you guys, I'm sure that raising capital was not easy because you know obviously you, the market was still not there of like really the ecosystem, the 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 VCs or the investors, and then also the startup mentality. So how did you guys go about raising money? Because I know that uh, you even had to put your house on the line. I think we we were really strong believers and. If I'm honest, sometimes it's good also to be naive, right? <laughs> because if you're not naive, you won't do this stuff. Um, you know, I think we really believed in it and we want to, you know, go quick. And not just in, in Europe, we wanted to grow globally. So we set up office in Singapore, New York. My co-founder even moved there. Uh, but, I, you know, nobody wanted to give us money. You know, we talked to countless investors. You know, they didn't believe how this world works. So at a certain moment, if you have that window opportunity, just go for it. So... My co-founder and me, you know, we convinced our wife, so to this date, very, very grateful to say, can we, you know, uh, borrow half a million, uh, you know, euros? Back then, that was a fortune, right? So we put uh, two houses as collateral, borrowed that uh, money and just went all in. Uh, in hindsight, I would not recommend it. Uh, but, you know, as we were naive, but also we thought, hey, we're software engineers. Worst case, if this fails, we just, you know. Uh, do some coding for the next 20 years to pay off our debt. Uh, you know, it, but at the end of the day, I think it's paid off. Uh, but that was, uh, you know, in hindsight, still a scary moment. And uh, I want to make sure that this never happens again. That's why, you know, in uh, the future ventures I have, we're always well capitalized. <laughs> well, yeah, no kidding, because thank God it was a good outcome. Otherwise, your wife would have put you to sleep on the couch. <laughs> yeah, sure. good stuff. Sure. Yeah, no, good outcome. And let's talk about the outcome, because uh, you guys did a merger there with uh, Lightspeed. So tell us about this this process and and how did Lightspeed, you know, come, you know, in, 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 in the door, in, in the picture, and, and then also how that, you know, evolved uh, from there. Yeah, I think that's part of the naivety that really uh, helped us. You know, we went really global. Um, so Lightbeat was back then focused on retail, you know, got uh, millions and millions of investment from Excel and so on. So they thought it was uh, the moment to one side going to, to Europe, but as well, you know, uh, accelerate uh, in different verticals in hospitality. Uh, 
So the reason why, you know, back then people found this is although we were a very small team, you know, people were always saying, how does this company from suburb of Brussels do this on a global scale? We had a big reach. You know, and the reason why is, you know, if you're a start startup, sometimes you need to fake it till you make it. So uh, an anecdote, you know, when we were doing um, a fair in Las Vegas, you know, uh, most companies, even big ones, only send two guys there, right? But we brought a lot of our, you know, friends and family. We only got one hotel room, but then, you know, with our wives, uh, you know, we were then four on the boot. And I had then luckily, you know, a lot of friends that were doing a, a conference nearby. We say, hey, here are POS iOS t-shirts. You know, come during the day. But even more important, when there's these after parties, make sure you walk around. You know, and everyone was thinking, wow, that must be a big company. They can send 10 people from Europe, you know, in Las Vegas to do this show. So it's impressive. So we did a lot of these, you know, events where um, besides getting customers, we got a lot of noise. And I think that's why we were on uh, a lot of lists of other companies saying, hey, you know, if, uh, you know, if there's a possibility, we should talk to these guys. Um, so, in so in 2014, for example, you know, the guys of Lightspeed, uh, the CFO is still a really good friend of mine. And our uh, angel investor also in Bilivrect, you know, reach out to me and say, hey, Zong, uh, we want to marry. <laughs> that was a very out of the blue call. I told them, man, let's date first. So, uh, you know, after a lot of dates, I think, uh, you know, uh, us going together was the, 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 the best decision. And it's something that I definitely didn't regret. Um, you know, although we were really good at products, I think um, in our 20s, uh, we didn't have that experience, uh, but that's maturity to to scale, uh, especially people-wise, a global business, right? You know, running go-to-market, knowing all the you know, motions of a company, um, sometimes it's very hard if you have never done it before. So joining uh, Lightspeed really helped us that, as they are very skilled in, in, in the go-to-market and with our uh, product knowledge we really uh, brought it to the global stage and obviously great outcome you know the company lightspeed ends up going public i mean they have like thousands of employees today but eventually you know after that amazing run you decide to really you know put your notice in and and go at it and and and, and do it again so tell us about that process you know and and that moment where the idea of deliberate you know really came to mind and and you said to yourself, I, I got to do this one again. I got to go at it again. The funny thing is I told my, um, well, POS iOS conference, I was my current confident young, is we're never going to do this again. I said, uh, that was it, you know. Uh, but somehow entrepreneurs must like pain because we always uh, go through it again. Um, one of the things I think when um, Lightspeed was scaling, I think what's, what's challenging for me is as you grow, there's a lot of silo forming. And, you know, it's very hard to get the motion going. And, you know, there's always things to do and there's always help. Um, and we were, you know, honestly just tired of doing a lot of meetings as we are doers uh, and less managers. Um, what made the difference is back then, even in 2017, 16, 17, as we we're very close in the hospitality space, you know, we, we saw the, the shift of offline to online. It's happened in retail because Lightspeed was also doing retail. So we saw that happening. Uh, but slowly, it's also happened in the restaurant business. Uh, honestly, back then, every restaurant you talked to, they said, Zong, this you know, online transition, never going to happen in the restaurant. You know, it's about hot food, creativity, servicing. Who the hell is going to order food online, right? Maybe, you know, chips and so on. Um, 
But due to the rise of these marketplaces, the delivery companies, Ubers, Deliveroo, and all the you know DoorDash of this world, we saw actually that restaurants were doing 10, 20, 30 percent of their total uh, revenue by these marketplaces. And honestly, our um, goal was, hey, how do we help these restaurants? Um, they all asked us, you know, they said, Zong, you're not allowed to go on a sabbatical because that was my plan. You need to help us to, you know, uh, go through this motion. Uh, and we want to create a solution to really allow these restaurants to be you know, future proof, right? As the number of online channels is going to explode. Uh, so that's why, you know, very early on, we said, okay, um, let's set up uh, Deliverect. Um, I basically went to every major marketplace around the world. You know, I visited these HQs, created relationships, uh, you know, set up uh, these these arrangements and, you know, created Deliverect um, uh, in, in end of 2018, 2019. So uh, Deliverect today is still a very young company. I think uh, uh, now we're exactly, I think uh, tomorrow it's the, the birth date of Deliverect. So exactly three years um, in the making of which that's quite crazy. Two thirds of the company was during the pandemic, so <laughs> it's, that's amazing. Uh, it's, it's special. And we'll, yeah. and we'll talk about we'll talk about that journey too. Uh, in this case, you know, like for for people listening and watching to really understand the model, how do you guys make money? You know, with Deliverect, how does it work? Uh, again, I think you know I'm uh, very accustomed to software as a service SaaS, so it's again a SaaS model. I think what's interesting in in, in the Deliverect model is you know instead of in, in pure software where it's land and expand, you need to sell modules. We have a you know transactional volume commitment to it. So as our customer grow, uh, we grow with them, right? So it's a heavy investment of us, but you know we believe in our product, and you know on average uh, customer that uses us sees their, for example, their top line revenue grow uh, with fifty percent in the first six months. So that allows us to you know. Uh, sometimes uh, you know grow or are put by thirty percent or even doubling uh, because you know they are growing quickly. Um, that's you know a, a lot also has to do with you know the growth of our space, right? The takeaway and delivery space has exploded, so uh, that has a side effect that our customers are growing. And how much capital have you guys raised to date for the company? In the last uh, two years, we raised over ninety million, so nine zero million dollars. Uh, I think that's quite a special, uh, especially because I think, uh, the, especially the, the last round, $65 million uh, I raised without meeting my investors. Of course, you know, we know a lot of people, you know, that knows them, but still it's quite strange these days that we can do this on Zoom, right? You know, doing such a big transaction in a very short time. Uh, that's the benefit of it, uh, but without social interaction. So, um, you know, that's, uh, that has been uh, fabulous on that. I'm uh, actually very allergic in raising capital because I have, you know, always learned to bootstrap. I'm a, a believer of that. You don't need a lot of capital uh, to grow companies. And the main reason is sometimes when the market is there and the timing is right, and when you're riding a wave that becomes a tsunami, you do need to uh, you know, grow quick. And so hence, uh, we raise a lot of capital to accelerate and help as many restaurants as we can. So the last round, 65 million. And 65 million without really meeting people in person. I mean, how, that, how, how did that work? I mean, can you like uh, make the insiders, you know, participate into understanding how did that unfold? Because I'm sure that many of the people listening, you know, are wondering, hey, how, how could I do that too? I mean, how, how was Song able to do that? You know, like so that, he didn't have to jump into planes or 
book hotels or lose all that time in commute. I mean, I think that, you know, the positive is also the way that you're able to optimize, you know, for timings too as, a, as an entrepreneur and also to reduce the the cost no, of that traveling and, and the time is money at the end of the day. So, so make us all insiders as to how that $65 million round remotely, you know, came together. Well, I think often when you look outside, you don't, you can't believe how it's done because from the moment we started officially uh, raising to the closing, so when the money hit the bank, was around six weeks. So exceptionally quick, right? Um, so, you know, I think what often people forget is um, offline or online, it's all about relationships. Um, so most of the time, you know, the investors we have on board, I know them for years. Right. So you build a relationship with them on a longer level. And often it, there is also some network effect uh, with it. Right. You, you know, uh, investor that knows them. You have a friend that, you know, maybe studied with one of these guys. So there's always that back channeling and that relationship building. If you assume that it's going to be out of the blue, it really happens. Right. Because at both ends, you want to be sure that you're getting someone on board that has your you know, mission aligned, right? That's want to do what you want to do. But as well, them, uh, they wanted some reassurance because they can do all the due diligence of the world. You know, they can all, you know, check all their papers and so on. But at the end of the day, they're also putting a trust on the entrepreneur that, you know, what you're saying is legit and it's backed by numbers, right? So very early on, I think, we, you know, I've been always talking to these investors, so build that relation out. So that's one thing. I think when you're there, um, when you want to hit uh, the moment you say, hey, it's ready to fundraise, it's actually too late if you don't have that list of investors that is interested. We had actually a very big list of interest uh, investors that were um, you know, ready to go. And we give them an estimate timeline where we want to go to market. So everyone was ready to you know, look at the company at that. Uh, they were they they knew that they need to put that in their planning, um, so it allowed us to actually pitch to you know a lot of investors in only a, t- a two week time frame. So I cleared my calendar. So of that six week, the first two weeks, I cleared complete my calendar, and did on average four um, to five investor calls a day. Right, so you know five days, you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, two weeks. It's very intense from morning to the evening, you know, from the Europeans to the people in San Francisco um, and did that in a very quick rate. And if you are prepared and you have, you know, your, your, you know, your plan, your data room and your work done up front, it's perfect doable. Uh, I think often people don't understand the process and, you know, are trying to consolidate their numbers, uh, you know, spending their story and, and, all these information while they're doing it. And that causes delay. If you have there, you know, the numbers, the data rooms, the, the plan there, I mean, these investors will look at it. And if you understand what they want, you can provide. And um, that then goes quite quickly. So after two weeks, um, you know, we got some, uh, like some offers where we then, you know, looked at, not per se only on evaluation, uh, but more as, you know, who are the ones that's going to marry us, right? Uh, you know, investor, you know, it's not just for the money. They're going to join you and hopefully for a long ride. So you better, you know, make that sound, uh, sound judgment, someone that can, you know, work together closely with you. Of course. And in this case, what was the main difference that you saw or that you encountered from dealing with European investors to dealing with perhaps U.S. investors? I'm sure that they were kind of like different. 
I think there's uh, sometimes the mindset of um, attacking a, a global market as well, you know, how uh, quick it can be. Um, I think, you know, we had, uh, you know, the two lost investors uh, that joined uh, was, uh, uh, you know, part of a VSD Global that has a big network, especially in the in, in our space of delivery, so that understand really well. But also these are guys that are, um, very believer of you know, grabbing a big market share, so going for it. And that also means sometimes doing these investments. On the other side, we also got uh, Redpoint on board. Um, and the reason we got Redpoint is you know, we want someone that has a lot of SaaS and B2B experience, right? Someone that can guide us um, through that journey as well. So, you know, they were very complementary in their network as well, their, their skill set. I think there's other investors that, you know, we talked to that, they are also good and amazing, but sometimes it's more about um, the capital they can bring than per se the network effect or specific help uh, uh, that that uh, that you need at that stage, right? It also depends on what stage you want to be in. Yeah, no, of course. So, so I guess uh, for the people that are listening to get an idea on the size of Deliberate today, I mean, anything that you can share in terms of number of employees or anything else? Yeah, Delivrec today, uh, we serve all continents. We have uh, 11 offices, uh, you know, uh, serve over 40 markets. Uh, for the rest, we are uh, over 250 people, you know, so uh, that uh, escalated quite quickly, especially if you know that in the last year, we added over 200 people, uh, you know, during the pandemic. So that was quite special. Um, for us, I think we uh, we have uh, processed over, you know, almost now uh, 60 million uh transactions right for the restaurant I, i'm quite proud about that because uh, that's almost now uh, two billion dollars in gmv for this restaurant uh, especially during these uh, you know lockdown and uh, pandemic periods uh it was uh, the difference for them to you know to to go bust or survive right they needed to have income um so company's still growing at the rate of uh, four five hundred percent year over year uh and our goal is to keep that trajectory going Amazing. And talking about employees, you know, the last 200 that you've uh, added, you know, in COVID times, I mean, over 200 people that for the most part you haven't met in person. And then also even the person that recruited them, you haven't met that person, you know, very much, you know, in person up until perhaps recently. So how do you go about that? And then also how do you think about scaling uh, in a way in which it doesn't really impact the, the key a pillars of the culture that you're building for this company? I think that's uh, a quite uh, a funny story on its own, actually. One and a half week ago was the first time I met our head of people, right? Um, she is quite experienced at Amazon, Xtrap.com, but she, she lives in Edinburgh, so, you know, in Scotland. So I, I went to, to meet her because, you know, she hired over 200 people without her. I, 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 I met her ever, right? So we did her interview completely online. You know, we talked, uh, you know, countless hours, but at the end of the day, you know, she started and built, you know, the HR practice fully remote. And that's, you know, one of the astonishing these days. I think that being said, I think it's also maybe the benefits, uh, especially for company in or startup in, in, in our size, right? You don't have the legacy way of working. Um, you know, you can attract the best talent uh, wherever you want. And actually, that strategy has helped us a lot. You know, uh, I'll I tell you why. Because, you know, one of our light leaders was sometimes very HQ focused, right? You have a lot of leaders and head overseas in 
you know, one office, right? And back then it was Montreal in Canada. So you do have a lot of other people in other countries, but people always felt, hey, I am not allowed to make the decision. In reality, it's just a perception because it's not that always these decisions are made that centrally, but it's just because the people sit there. So very early on, pre-pandemic, we said, hey, let's get our leaders not in Belgium and Ghent. Most of our leaders are in a different city. So my chief revenue officer lives in London. Uh, you know, our head of FNCG is in, uh, in, in Paris. Our head of marketing lives in Amsterdam, you know, uh, Shelby. And then you had, you know, uh, Jennifer in, in, in Edinburgh. So that really allowed people to think, hey, these guys are has to distribute the leadership. So wherever I'm joining, you know, that's going to be an important uh, office. Uh, and that's also the case. So this allows us to scale, you know, so quickly. We have over 50 nationalities. It's quite mind-boggling where everyone feels at place because diversity as well, multicultural is baked in because, you know, we're not all, uh, you know, uh, men or white men sitting in, a, in one office. No, it's a lot of coaches, a lot of uh, you know, differences everywhere. So that really helped. That's incredible. So imagine that you go to sleep tonight, Song. And you wake up in a world where the vision of Deliberate is fully realized. What does that world look like? So we have actually a quite strong mission, right? So what we want to do is build the backbone of on-demand food. Um, what does that mean? Because we are not an online ordering company. We're not a marketplace. We are not a point of sale. Uh, and we're not just an integrator. Um, the reason we are building Deliberate comes from my personal you know experience as you know anyone want to go online offer wins um, encounters the physical part of a restaurant you know you need to be able to print uh, print a ticket in the kitchen because they need to make the food right you need to have that system operation running so it means there's a lot of fragmentation in the restaurant space of point of sales right for example my father still system still has 90 percent of asian restaurant right so if you're then an online company even Uber or Google, whoever, and you want to access a physical restaurant, it means you need to have access to these point of sales. And that's what makes Deliverect unique. We have built a layer on top of hundreds and hundreds of the largest point of sales around the world. So allowing anyone online to access a physical restaurant to do ordering, uh, processing as well, payments, uh, without caring about the infrastructure. You, know? it, you need to compare as like, you know, before you had AWS or Google Cloud, you know, you want to be a SaaS company, you need to build servers. That's quite distracting, right? That's not your core business. Well, before Deliverect, if you want to do online food ordering uh, or delivery, well, you need to build these infrastructure with these point of sales. Very hard to scale. And the reason we're doing it, it's, uh, you know, that's my upbringing. You know, we, we started in hospitality, we're going to die in hospitality, uh, but we know also how these systems work. And, you know, to crack it, it's a very big challenge. And also very, you know, technically challenging. So we're doing it to making that infrastructure for the world uh, at end so that at least these restaurants, not only the big ones, um, can survive, but also thrive, right? We want to make sure they can sell wherever online and not thinking and caring about, you know, uh, how do I do a menu on this platform or another, right? So I uh, really want to help them. That's amazing. So imagine that I put you into a time machine. And I bring you back in time 
you know, to that moment where Song is uh, thinking about launching, you know, his first business. You know, imagine you were able to have a chat with your younger self and to give yourself one piece of advice before launching a company. What would that be and why, given what you know now? I would tell him, you know, stay foolish, be a bit naive, you know, and just go for it. Um, the reason why is, you know, you can always only look back and say, hey, it made sense, right? So I would not change anything of the journey because it's connecting the dots. If I never, you know, started, well, if my father never started hospitality point of sale, I was never in this world. Uh, if I never made website for him, uh, I didn't understand anything of the online space. If I didn't create apps, we never created, you know, US iOS. If we never did US iOS with Lightly, we would not have built one of the biggest uh, restaurant point of sale in the world. We didn't have that. You know, Deliverec would not exist because we would not have the network as well, you know, the understanding of, of this space, right? So, um, you know, it's all about just doing it. And even when it's very hard, just push through, uh, you know. Uh, uh, and the only thing I would say, I would remind myself when I'm young is um, enjoy it, especially hardship. You know, the first time I didn't always enjoy it. <laughs> you know, this time when we get our ass kicked and that happens or it's hot, tough, you know, I'm enjoying it. It's like, hey, you know, imagine we come out of this and it was a really fun story again to tell. That's it. And that's part of being alive, right? And building a business. Exactly. So embrace it. Good stuff, Song. I love it. So so for the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Well, you can uh, uh, hit me on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, uh, I use that quite often. That's a way to do it. Or, uh, you know, uh, go on uh, our website. I think you have to find some uh, contact info, but LinkedIn is probably the easiest way to reach out to me. Amazing. Well, Song, thank you so much for being on the DealMaker Show today. No, it was my pleasure. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.